0: Okay, good morning, and uh, Happy New Year. Uh, I just before we get into the Shinjin May, I want to say a few words about the New Year. So I was asked to uh, by a local reporter of a local uh, publication, online publication, to write a few words, uh, a few encouraging words about the New Year. Um, she uh, got that, collected uh, words from different... Spiritual leaders locally, and uh, put it together. I think it's a New Jersey publication, some I forget the name. And uh, she's asked me to write uh, a few words about encouraging words as we enter New year with uh, the issue or issues of uh, divisiveness in, in this country or the world. So here's what I wrote. Entering a new year can be a wonderful reminder of the transformative and rejuvenating power offered to us by each new moment. Instead of pondering why there is so much animosity, divisiveness and discrimination in our society, we can choose to quell these harmful energies by cultivating unconditional tolerance and acceptance. Instead of wishing that others would refrain from causing harm, we can practice doing good. Instead of hoping that people will be less hateful, we can choose to be loving. This may sound unrealistic and we may often feel powerless or held back due to the actions of others or by our own past. However, tapping into the immense transformative power of each moment, or each moment we can realize our own immense power for radical change and we can become a living embodiment of unity and cooperation. So, New Year, we make a lot of it, which maybe we can, uh, if we understand how to work with that, but really nothing happens. Nothing different happens, right? So, we can say, well, here is the New Year, what was, was, what is, is, and we're entering something. On one level, on one particular level, that's true but essentially it's made up it's all made up and and again it's fine as long as we know how to use what we make up right we call it a new year fine what does that mean can it act as a reminder for us to actually do something different to actually do something new because the only thing that's going to make it new is our actions if our actions are repetitive then there's nothing new in the new year. We're gonna end up meeting the same old me, the same old habits, the same old you, and the same old complaints and stuff to hate. So the question of how we enter new moment, each moment is, is uh, very important. If a new year could be a reminder to shake it up on a momentary basis, then it works. If it's not, then it's pointless. Because essentially, again, it's all made up. And I want to share a few words from uh, Chogyam Trumpa that uh, fit this occasion. He wrote, there are times to cultivate and create when you nurture your world and give birth to new ideas and ventures. There are times of flourishing and abundance when life feels in full bloom, energized and expanding. And there are times of fruition when things come to an end. They have reached their climax and must be harvested before they begin to fade. And finally, of course, there are times that are cold and cutting and empty. Times where the spring of new beginnings seem like a distant dream. Those rhythms in life are natural events. They weave into one another as day follows night, bringing not messages of hope and fear, but messages of how things are. So, and it's the bottom line, right? Because never mind hopes and fears, never mind. What about the way things are? Are we getting to that is the question. Do we understand and are we practicing in accordance with the way things are? Or in accordance with our hopes and fears? Are we dominated by our hopes and fears is the question. So what he's describing is just life as it is. And he's saying at the end that all it is is just showing us, showing us what is. Right? So there is what is and there is what we think and want and hope. And I think it fits very well with the Shinjin Jin Mei right, to get beyond picking and choosing, to get beyond ideas, beyond thoughts, and beyond hopes and fears, too, right, in a way to rest in things as they are. So, anyway, I just want to say a few words about that, and we are going to go into uh, Shinjin Mei, We are, uh, this is session four, and uh, I'm going to read uh, the paragraph we're on. Failing to penetrate the meaning of oneness, neither side will function. Emptiness and fall, two sides. Banishing existence entwines you in existence. Pursuing emptiness turns you away from me. Another translation, Donna Julian: Live in the great way where action is stillness and silence pervades. Deny the reality of things and miss true nature. Assert that emptiness exists and it will disappear. So this is from the commentary. Activity and passivity, both as conditions of reactivity, Assertion and denial, both as conditions of ignorance, are all standpoints that find their basis in self referential delusions. In other words, our personal perceptions construct a distorted version of reality, hence the delusion. Then he says, when one lives in the way, in the Tao, or oneness of things, all these standpoints become false. in in the sense that they ultimately prove to be mere concepts and collide with the experiential reality of our lives. To assert or deny the nature of things, in one sense or another, is to fail to see the workings of the two truths, as in the Madhyamaka dialectic of Nagarjuna, the absolute and the provisional. And we have talked about the provisional self, a bunch of times before. Any assertion or denial is in the realm of the conceptual. Any attempt to control activity or passivity is in the realm of delusion. Nagarjuna equates emptiness with the relinquishing of all views. According to the early tradition, views are seen as deriving from a commitment to opposite thinking. Very powerful statement. Views are seen as deriving from a commitment. We often talk about commitment. Commitment to practice. right, And it may seem as if there is a choice between to commit or not to commit. But that's not true because when we're not committed to practice, we are committed to something else. When when we're not committed to wisdom tradition or to practice wisdom, we we are committed to practicing delusion. Just look at your life. Look at our lives and look at the way we live our lives and you will see that we are actually highly committed to what we believe. And that's the question. What do we believe? What do we put our trust in? So a commitment to opposite thinking. The tendency to see things in terms of basic dichotomies of which is, is not, is the most virulent. The most toxic of all. Right? So we, we come into practice from divisive mind. right, From a mind that divides. And practice offers a place of unity or sheds light on unity as it is. And then the question is, are we willing to ease up on our commitment to seeing reality this way, or functioning this way? Confusion and ignorance arise on the basis of the sedimentation, settling of these distinctions slash identifications, which in early Buddhism are referred to as samskaras, habituation, impulses, or dispositions with respect to speaking, thinking, and acting. Letting go of all views means disengaging oneself from the realm of abstract conceptual reality and stepping into the world of mind-body experience in this very moment. In such an experience, as Saint himself says at the end of this poem, there is no being or non-being, in abstract, conceptual ways, nor is there a denial of anything. So that's the commentary. Now, the problem with that, the problem with with, um, turning towards that, is that there's nothing to turn towards. That's why we find it so difficult or so challenging, because we may say, I'm willing to give it a shot or I'm willing to be open to but what we want is to let go of something with a promise that there will be something else to hold on to and that's where the problem is And, and what the practice or what the tradition is saying or what wisdom is saying is that there will be nothing to hold on to there will be nothing to hold on to it is saying what you're holding on to is false well, it's not saying it. He's saying examine and see if it's true. Right? So then you examine and you come to that conclusion you're on. But then he's saying, fine, now that you realize it's false, realize that there will be nothing else to hold on to. Not because what you're holding on to is false, as much as because holding on is itself false. Because we can't. Not because I'm going to convince you that there's something better for you to enter. Right? And then all it is just crawling out of one shell into another. And sometimes I think that's what it is. It's just we don't mind trying out something else as long as it's going to provide some sense of shellness or security or something to identify with. So how do we do that? How do you do that? How do you, first of all, do you recognize where your security comes from? Do we recognize that? And second, how do we uh, ease up on that grasp or the grasping? I know it's a big question, big questions, but let's try. Let's see where it goes. You got the microphone. You. (laughs) Anyone? Yes, please.
1: I'm in this process of my whole house uh, and every bin is literally a weight of random things and um, what you're saying about crawling from one shell to another and you know the purpose of keeping hold of something tangible for what emotion or reaction and you know, really, why? Because you can't, you know, really hold on to it. Um, so it's an act of, you know, realization of why and, and really what, like you're saying, why am I attached to that one item? And for really most of your life, you don't even see it.
0: <laughs> it feels like a need, right? It feels like I need it, but the question is, do I, right? Do I really need it? It does feel this way, Well, we're not denying that, that it feels very much needed, like oxygen. But is it, is the question.
2: I can relate to that Um, with purging and, and moving from one place to another. There's a lot of things that we could have
0: gotten rid of. One second. Can you guys hear Major? It, it could be a little bit better if you put in a little yeah. here. I have a hard time listening. What? She's having um, a hard time. She's having hard time here. Okay. So, how about uh, who wants to be the wonder?
3: My okay. <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: <laughs> Thank you as I was saying, is from moving just recently moving from one space to another and, and um trying to see what do you keep, what do you discard. And it's now it's not only my attachment to things, now it's my husband's attachments to things, you know. And they're saying that <laughs> attaching to calling him my husband. <laughs> I still call him my boyfriend but um, yeah, so uh, he's like I am, in a he, he holds on to sentimental things and, and there's a lot of things I don't need anymore. And because they were gifted and I have sentimental attachment to it, I hold on to it. And my security is that if I keep it and I need it down the road, it's there, you know, but I'm not really using it. It's, uh, I'm sure somebody else can benefit from it a lot more than uh, than I am but that, that's where I'm at too is just trying to get rid of and when the security comes of just being around just being there in case in the event that it's needed. Mm-hmm. but then I noticed too that it just clutters it clutters like, like like our thoughts clutter clutter our minds and stuff and and it weighs you down, and, and I think that's it's, that's where we do a lot of our suffering is is with our with our thoughts and the the value that we give to material things and and the sentiment that we give to material things, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we there's very little that we use in our homes, yet we have a lot of things that are there just for our pleasure of looking at them or in the event that I need it, you know? It's there. Right. But it does. I do feel it. I do feel it, especially when you have to clean and all Mm -hmm. the dust collects and all those little trinkets that are there, you know? You know, you're like... You feel the weight of it all, you know? You Mm -hmm. feel the weight of the attachment to it and you feel the way of having to maintain it and clean it and everything, something that you're no longer using, you're no longer needing anymore. So, um, yeah, I, I, I have to work on that as well. Letting go of things and detaching from material things and and sometimes even relationships that are toxic, mm-hmm. you know? Right,
0: thank you. You um, want something? I could
4: add uh, as far as like calling from one shell to another mm-hmm. <coughs> would be the, the many sort of identities or stories that we tell about ourselves, you know, like as a child, you're a <laughs> child so then like you identify or you know yourself like as this child in a relationship to your parents and then there's a lot of the um, the social uh, sort of confirmation that you're on the right track, right? So like you're on school and you get grades or you're in school and you get grades or you're, you know, you, you get a job and then you are confirmed, your value is confirmed by how successful you are at your job. And, um, I have a, a, a close, close friend whose identity is so caught up in her work that when, you know, she was laid off, it was completely, it destroyed her understanding of herself. Um, and she was not going to be happy or complete until she had a job again. Not just the practical need of, like, we need to make some money. but um, but really, just like world fell apart, and so, uh, so we we can just we can and then even with Zen practice, we could crawl into this uh, this another shell of like, well, I'm a good practitioner. I'm a you know, cause I show up every Sunday and I do my sits da 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 You know, i like we can take on this new identity, and so even if maybe it's a healthy uh, sort of balance, or you know, it's you're seeing that it's. Um, you know, it's positive in some way, we still can kind of crawl from one story, one identity to another.
2: Uh, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I agree with that, this two weeks that I was sick, I mm-hmm. was torturing myself from not being able to get up. Um, I, 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 I was ill, and, and I couldn't sleep at night, and then I would take something to help me sleep, like uh, NyQuil or something, mm-hmm. I couldn't get up in the morning to sit. And then later on in the day, I would feel so guilty uh, that I, I couldn't sit that day. And, and it just, yeah, you get attached to the thing of showing up and, and doing, and don't give yourself a break when you know that you need to a little time to heal. And I have to kind of learn to let it go because it was really a, it was really bothering me. It was like I was making such a big thing out of it. When it's just like, it's okay, you know? like off the the bus like I mentioned last time and as soon as I feel better I'll get right back on it you know Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. what we do we Mm -hmm. attach to that identity that I'm responsible I'm showing up I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing and when I lose that identity then you start thinking like oh my god I'm slacking and what am I doing I'm not practicing I'm not sitting I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing you know with my community and yeah you beat yourself up for it and it's not necessary it's a lot of suffering Up in the mind. You want to. Just bouncing off of. Can you guys hear
5: me? All right. Um, just bouncing off of what Enkai was saying, actually, especially in terms of uh, childhood. Um, I attach to a lot of things, but one of my attachments is actually um, buying very colorful clothes to wear, and. Uh, just trying to break away from how my parents perceived me. Um, I was always like, I was always the quiet one. I was always the one in the corner. I was always the one um, who couldn't get clothes like I wanted to get. You know, like you know, I saw these kids in the '80s. You know, you know, and I loved the colors, but I was never allowed. Uh, to dress like that or dress with those colors and and just trying to break out. It, it's 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 a balance Right because then I have the I feel this need To just get different colors. I want to wear different colors. I want to I want to get this and I want to feel new whereas you know if I really when I really deeply sit on it it's it's not that I need to. It's, it's a feeling like I need to be new. Mm-hmm. I need to be new. I need to be some something different than what I thought I was. And just detaching from whether or not I need to be new or colorful or bright and what is that, and just looking at the perception of that mm-hmm. is important.
0: I Want to say something yeah. about this? So, so the. Uh, the the uh, habitual attachment is obviously to form, right? It's not to formlessness, and then over time with practice, we may think or you know or perceive that what we read and study or what we experience to be something different to attach to, right? So the idea of emptiness can become the idea of me, or the idea that connects to my existence or who I am, right? And and what this is this uh, paragraph is saying is. Banishing existence entwines you in existence. In other words, when you resist, when you push away form, you get a, you it's also a form of attachment to form. Right, so grasping or pushing are both expression of, um, of attachment to form. Right, I don't like or I do like, act the same way. Loving or hating, it. that's why it says at the beginning, let go of love and hate. Not, not let go of love the way we see love, but let go of this attachment kind of love. I need it. It is me. It is who I am. I identify with that. So pushing or pulling both act the same way or will have the same results. So that doesn't work. Bans your existence, winds you in existence. Pursuing emptiness turns you away from it because it works the same way. Because we, the, the mechanism of uh, loving and hating doesn't go away. It just shifts from what we call form to what we call formless. But the mechanism is the same. Now I'm going to be in love with nothingness. Look at me, I'm nothing, I'm nobody. Wow, isn't that great, right? Because you have not gotten there yet. Right? So we make something of that, we make someone of that. And what we need to see is that mechanism. We constantly need to look at that mechanism of grasping. Why, and then fine, the, the grasping happens, but why do I do that? Why do I keep doing that? Do I need to do that? What if I experiment with venturing away from that? Experimenting with opening up the hand and keeping it open? Or practicing not knowing is another way to another uh, uh, gateway to that.
6: <clears throat> Sorry, I'm kind of, uh
0: one second one one second muka wants to speak yeah, no, sorry about and that. then and then you
3: um yeah I, I think even in your discussion about you know grasping the the question of where do we find security might be misleading then of i'm often you know feeling that of going well, when I'm in a state of you know turmoil or shifting sands my question is what can I trust in you know what what is reliable other than death and taxes you know it's kind of uh, what can I like really and even in that I'm going what can I grab onto and Mm -hmm. like hold tight through these moments what what is what is really there right and I'm trying to then go oh well then I have to you know trust in myself and find security in myself and then I find nothing there, and I'm getting aggravated that I can't look it to myself for, for strength or for soothing. And, and I think that so much of that is tied to what you were saying about uh, sickness. I hate to say it, sometimes when I get sick, I feel like that's the only time I can rest, because my body is basically shutting down and giving me permission, kind of giving me permission, but also I, I'm not in a position to put up a fight anymore, <laughs> so I just relinquish. And, you know, even in moments of like, perver- you know, I haven't had a vacation in years, but even when I did take vacations, I couldn't rest. It felt like I had stuff to do and it was always, you're always on. And, and I think it's interesting. I don't know. I was thinking about it. So my parents have an indoor outdoor cat and he kind of comes and goes as he pleases. He's a little bit of a space cadet, but I love him anyways. Um, the other day, he went outside to go to the bathroom and another cat came in the neighborhood and attacked him while he was trying to take a crap. You know, and it's going like, how, what is it like to live like that where it's just kind of constant vigilance, but he's not even really looking at it like that. It's like, it's not like a, you're always on or off. It's just, you're just always where you are. And you know, it's, it's a, I don't know, it's a very odd thing. And it's something that I think at the beginning of us discussing this, I was more preoccupied with the question of security and stability. And I still am in some respect, Mm -hmm. but I think I'm finding it, um, I'm finding the question uh, to be um, lacking now. (laughs) <laughs> in a certain sense of, like, I don't think anything's there. And so maybe, you know, in the way that we approach Mu, it's unasking the question. Let's take security off the table for the time being and just look at what's in front of us.
0: Right. What we're looking for does not exist. Yeah. So it's not that I'm not looking uh, in the right way, I'm not looking at the right places. mm mm-hmm it's the looking itself that is based on what does not exist, right? Mm-hmm. So, so when we when we say I'm looking for security or stability, well, that's the, the disconnect from reality because reality is unstable. Yeah. And it's not a problem.
7: Mm-hmm.
0: We make it a problem, but it's not a problem. Reality is unstable yeah. because it's constantly changing. Mm-hmm. It's not against or for anybody or anything, it's just the way it is, mm-hmm. right? So, and the question, comes down to, can I be okay with that? So we, we spend some time on alignment, right? So finding alignment between what I think or what's going on in my mind and reality itself. How do I merge? Yeah. How do I merge? Because if I don't, I'm gonna do you suffering, suffer. as you said. <laughs> we do suffering, I like that. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, but yes, that's how we uh, manufacture extra suffering. Yeah. So thank you, Kakuo.
6: Yeah, um, at, um, you know, Enkai and I have have, have uh, many many times discussed uh, tidying up and, and Marie Kondo and, and what it means to clean and declutter. And so I was very interested in the discussion about decluttering because I'm also doing a lot like a house cleaning, one of those Japanese New Year house cleaning uh, kind of things. And you know, there's this idea from Marie Kondo. Of, you take every article in everything in your house and you hold it up to you and you say, does this spark joy? And you know, I was just thinking about why I love all my clutter. I love my clutter because it it, it reminds me of you know, happy memories or things that I kind of don't want to let go of. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of a nice thing, you know. Oh, I love that trip I took, you know, ten years ago. I I want that souvenir to remind me. I want that picture. You know, I want that colorful shirt that I love or whatever. Um, And I feel like, you know, transcending all likes and dislikes is something like the Japanese Zen aesthetic. Sort of like, you know, the the paintings that are behind you all. There's one empty circle, you know, one piece of calligraphy, a piece of wood, a Buddha, and a plant over there. Uh, that's That's like a minimalist kind of aesthetic. And, and I suppose that, you know, staring at a calligraphy of the empty circle is in some ways like transcending likes and dislikes. But I don't know. I mean, what happens when we just love things in this life and we don't want to let them go? Well, that can be a beautiful thing or it can be an attachment.
0: Thank you. So, okay. So, so you said loving things and we don't want to let them go. So here's a question does loving mean that so you see sometimes we may, we i think we confuse grasping with loving grasping for security is not love it's actually i think it it, uh, it suffocates love i think it uh, it stifles love because to truly express love we have to be moving and flowing and accepting and unconditional this is definitely not unconditional Right, so letting go, often letting go is an expression of love. Not, not caring, it's deeply caring. So we allow for movement, we allow for expression, all kinds of expression, right? So that's, that's love in its deepest way or expression. All right, so, so say again. What does it look
6: Minimalist, imperfect, I mean, does it look like a Japanese
0: rock garden? It doesn't look like anything. It doesn't have, it doesn't have a particular look. Because, because you know, where Kako is sitting right now, that's what it looks like. Yeah. There's no other look like. Right? If, if you're going to look around yourself and say, well, this is not it, or it doesn't look like what I think it is, then you're going to be rejecting And rejecting is just rejecting, right? And then you're going to be looking for something else. And you're going to create or change the apartment, put this shelf over there, that bookcase there. Then, okay, now it's good. You sit down five minutes, okay. Then 10 minutes later, it's not okay. Because it doesn't look like the way I thought or I think it should look like or feel like maybe, right? But right now, it looks like that. It looks like that. There's no extra, right? And there's no lack. And there's
6: no like or dislike.
0: That well, that's that's a question for you to examine. That's the question, right? How do you Well, there is likes and dislikes. The question how do you work with your likes and dislikes? Uh, okay. Right? It's not it's not it's not again, it's not a binary thing. Okay, I'm done. I'm not no longer going to like and dislike. It doesn't work this way, right? It's Working with the naturally occurring likes and dislikes. Uh, okay. There's no way out there's no way out of that. But it's a question of how do I how do I meet the arising likes and dislikes, right? Yes,
6: without
0: grasping and Right. Exactly. So practice practice non-grasping. Practice not pushing or pulling. All right. Thank you. And go ahead.
2: So, um, um, as, as he's saying about uh, about uh, his vacations and the things that that he enjoys and he likes and he loves, and it, it's um, it also reminds me. I, I have a, a student that her, her home, um, unfortunately, burned down, and she uh, lost all her material things and things like that. Some things it was easier for her to let go, and some things were more difficult but she's having a difficult time even though all the other all the material everything that she has she's got a new apartment and she's got new furniture and she's got everything but she's attaching to the part of being a victim of a fire and it's very difficult for her to get past it and because of that it causes a lot of negativity in her life and then it's also making it difficult for her to be present in the classroom and gain everything and everything she's she feels like a victim with everything with everything you know no matter what it is that you present she feels like why do i bother you know she feels so uh unsure and insecure and she feels like at any moment another tragedy is going to happen to her and she's going to lose more so it's it's very difficult to to work with her, but little by little, you know, trying to help her uh, open her mind, and she's starting to let go slowly. But it's very difficult for her. So it's I think about putting all our our like our marbles in one place or whatever. Like when you are expecting to material things to bring happiness, that is your form of love and happiness. When you lose your material things, it throws you totally off balance. Mm -hmm. When you are so, when you expect another person to bring you love and happiness, and that's the only value that we have, is love and happiness, and that person is your whole life, and if anything happens to that person, your love, your happiness, your whole world is gone, then it makes it very difficult to snap out and continue your life after a loss like that, you know? And unfortunately, like uh, Jason was saying, where do we get our security? How do we feel secure in, in our lives when we are expecting another person that can be in our life for a long time or can be in our lives for a short amount of time to give us that security? We have to find it within ourselves somehow because otherwise, you know, it's going to be very difficult to continue our lives constantly worrying and thinking that at any moment we're going to lose (coughs) our happiness, our balance, our love, our life, if we are putting so much value into everyone else and not valuing ourselves and what we're capable of of accomplishing, I guess, you know?
0: Thank you. You want to say something? No, no. Um, yeah, thank you for that. I think the, uh, the issue is not just how do we function when we lose what we hold on to. Uh, the problem is how we live our lives when we grasp, right? So, so what you said obviously affects the relationship and, and it, it's, it sucks out joy of the relationship because the relationship is, is, is burdened by the grasping. So you can't have healthy relationship with grasping. Right, that doesn't work. So, and again, that's not a true expression of love. Grasping is not love. And I think it's important to uh, to make that distinction. Uh, I'm gonna move on to the, somebody who did not say anything, that wants to say something about this paragraph. Now is your chance. Am I missing, yeah, yeah. Asa? Oh, I
5: think
8: he was trying
0: to say something. Who? Uh,
8: in the corner. She's talking. Yeah, I can't, we can't hear
9: you. Matthew? Okay, how
0: about now? Yeah, it's good.
9: Yeah, okay. Uh, for some reason I lost you all the sound, but I'll just briefly change my sound back. Uh, um, to me, it reminds me of uh, the practice of preferred indifference. Or, I mean, sure, it's great to have certain things, but obviously you can lose those things and mm-hmm. you're tangible or mm-hmm. intangible. So in my mind, coming back to it, like that, you're good either way. That's what I mean by preferring It's not that you don't care. No, sure, it's great to have a house that you know, is perfectly clean all the time. But if you grasp onto that, then you're going to be, well, you know what we said, but at some at some point you're gonna be angry with yourself for the situation because it's something you can't change. Right. So if you're good either way, I'm working towards that I'm good with it either being this you know, monastic life, or I'm good just as good, good with it. Things pile up in dishes in the sink, like I mean I'm I'm looking after my three kids while I'm uh,
8: here until my wife's easy
9: against. And it's a mess. But would I prefer it to be otherwise? Sure. Will it ever get to the point where it's not like that? Not with three kids in the house. Um, <laughs> so,
8: uh,
9: you know, it, uh, that's what I try to work towards is that you know, I'm either way. I can
8: look at it, yeah, there's a mess. Eventually sure that mess will go away. And at the
9: same time, that mess will probably come back in a couple hours too. And then I'll just look at it and go, okay, that has to be cleaned up. Because I just would prefer not to have bugs coming into my house.
0: But if the come to the house, okay, they do something about that. Right, thank you, Matthew, and uh, yeah, welcome back uh, to the Sangha. So, yes, uh, what you're talking about is, is uh, being unconditional, right? So to be unconditional, to take full responsibility at all times for a state of mind, state of being, so then we are not dependent on circumstances and conditions, Right so we can work towards cleaning the house. We always can do that, right? Um, but then be okay with the way things are moment by moment, regardless of the way regardless of whether or not we like it or dislike it and that's the point. it's not it's the attachment to always comes down to the attachment to rather than to what's going on. It's my relationship to it that determines whether or not I will be or how will i experience the moment it has to do with my relationship with the moment right i demand the moment to look different well that's great but it's not so how do i how do i turn inwardly and then as you say be okay and either being okay or every day is a good day as yunman said right it has nothing to do with their rising and vanishing it has nothing to do with who is born who dies It has to do with the way things are, right? And that's what Chongyam Trungpa was saying in the last line, is all of this, right? It's clean, it's dirty, they like me, they hate me, all of that stuff is just pointing at the way things are. It's not personal. It's just the way things are. So, thank you. Okay, the next one. uh, The more you talk and think, the more you go astray, It's a very famous line from this uh, poem. Sees all speech and thought, then everywhere you are with the way. And uh, Dan and Jordan, to experience reality, stop using words. For the more you talk about things, the farther away from the truth you stray. That's why we don't talk on a regular basis, right? What we love, not talking. Uh, commentary, Musong, the evolution of language has done wonderful things for us as, species, as a species. But as Buddhist thinkers have pointed out, when we use language as the representation of reality itself, we end up creating a dead-end construct for ourselves that leads to existential despair, right? I think we, we can understand that, Right. Or or we know what he's talking about here, right? It leads to existential despair. It leads to much suffering. To talk and think about the Tao in assertive or denying ways is is a harmful enterprise. The truth or apprehension of the nature of things happens only when the noise of internal chatter has been brought to a complete stop. Without getting into the inner logic of linguistics itself, suffice it to say that the problem here is how the language is used by the grasping mind, not the intrinsic structure of language itself. In other words, no problem with language, the problem is or lies in the way we use language and our attachment to this word or this idea versus that idea. Right, so, so, you know, like what you were saying before, that the, the binary way of seeing things is either this or that. I like this, I hate that. I am for this and against that. That creates the problem. So when we take a word or an idea or a bunch of words and we identify with those words or those ideas, then we step away from reality and we create a cocoon. And as Zen is geared to dismantling the constructs that have been put in place by internal chatter, well, it's constantly being put in place by that chatter, right? This transcendence leads to a deeper kind of knowing that is intuitive and spontaneous rather than a conceptual construct. The Zen tradition works on the premise that new and extraordinary ways of knowing that emerge when a condition of inner silence has been reached Yield a direct, truer uh, knowledge about ourselves and the world. So, going directly to, right, or directly encountering reality bypasses the grasping of our own thoughts or ideas. Going directly to, right, as your cat was not, right, uh, (laughs) caught up in whatever, right, this (laughs) is dealing with reality (laughs) as it was, right, right there. So going directly to the way reality shows up frees us from ourselves, from our conceptual mind. So, yeah, what do you think? And keep in mind, the more you think and talk, the more you go astray. (laughs) Now say something. (laughs)
8: Thinking about this um, because I, 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 this poem and this writing is, is sort of showing us and trying to trying to shed light on where 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 we go astray in our you know in our in our lifetimes and um, Thank you. I think a little bit about um, um, what Milton was saying about childhood and and how. I'm wondering about childhood and, and even before, like, infancy you know babies we have like there's just so much that is that, that a, a, an infant needs and to, to understand to understand it and, and be in the world but there's also so much so much that we we teach children that help like that kind of, And then they they go astray, I think, in a lot of ways, as we start to um, teach them what's right and wrong, (laughs) or how to speak and how to not speak, um, and how we praise and how we blame and how we, you know, the ways we guide um, can can actually kind of inadvertently be the source later on. You know, we're, we're speaking all here as adults and i think we're all informed by the past and what we what we grew up with and i think so much of what is so healing about our practice in zen is um is that we get to unlearn uh some of the things we've learned um, or maybe just sort of disattached or loosen up the grips that we've learned somehow along the way one way or another but i don't and i don't Want to dismiss the importance of of attachment um, in 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 a, in, a, in a child's life? So I think I'm curious about the. I guess you know we could say we could say all of this in this poem and and understand how how healing and meaningful it is, and yet it's so crucial to to give children stable bonds. Um, you know, and an understanding of what those feel like, and you know, in their, in their, you know, in, in their bodies. So, um, some I don't know. I'm just I don't really have a question. It's it's a very kind of poorly phrased thought, but um, I don't know. i uh, obviously I'm also sitting here. I'm about to become a parent in the next couple of months, so. Um,
0: uh, thank you. Yeah. So the bond, right? And we know, and this is interesting, right? You're about to have a, a child, right? And uh, what do I do, right? How do I know which book should I read? You know, what, you know, what do I listen to, right? But, but you know, it's interesting because, because most of what we need to do, we already know. We don't know that we know, right? Because, you know, we are born to do that, right? You're born to have, to, to go through what the experience you're going to go through. Right? It's not that you got to go to school to not to do that. You really don't. People have, done, have been doing it for quite a while, right? Before, before <laughs> language was what it is, before schools were erected, people had children and knew how to care for them, right? So there is that innate knowledge that we have to turn towards, right? I remember you remind me of uh, my children were young. I went to the pediatrician. I asked many questions. What do I do? Should I do that? And he was just old-school uh, pedi- uh, pediatrician. And he looked at me and he said, just love them and feed them. They'll do the rest. <laughs> they know what to do. Just, he said two things, love them and feed them. And I thought there was a lot of wisdom in that, right? And not only that they will know what to do, you will know what to do. Because you know what to do. You just know, don't know it yet because you haven't, you didn't need to tap that knowledge yet, right? But that knowledge is there for you. So it's very different. You know, this is, this is talking about, what you're talking about is an innate expression, right? Not, not the extra attachments that we superimpose or the, or, or the, um, the ideas, right? The mental construct that we superimpose on reality. You're talking about something very basic, very fundamental, which could be a good way to teach oneself how to be. How to trust something deeper. So you're gonna tell us all about it, right?
4: <laughs> <laughs> I can't you. Throw out there that you uh, say your um, the word attachment like and, and like the, the the parenting attachment like theory or whatever. Um, I think that 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 word attachment <clears throat> just like with you know saying like confusing love and attachment or like a child. Understanding how to develop social relationships and feeling secure. I think there's a very big difference. There may be not all difference. I don't know. Um, but there's there's some sort of uh, difference. In, yeah, this word. This is the one words. This word. The same word. Same letter, Same sound comes out of our mouth. But like I don't think it means quite like, the same thing. In that like a child learning how to like a, a child who cannot survive on their own and is learning how to engage in the social relationships, uh, attaching. Versus um, the grasping,
0: attaching um, that
4: we're sort of talking a little bit more about. Right, thank
8: you. Uh, I actually appreciate that because that's on my mind as well. That my work as a as people to help, you know, I, I see you know where things go astray so often in terms of post traumatic stress or sociopathy or, or deep, deep, you know, whatever it could be walking through, the borderline kind of tendencies, you know, speaking clinically for a second. But, um, you know, I think to keep it simple, right, love and feed <laughs> the children. Uh, they'll do the rest. We know what to do if we just keep it simple. I think, you know, so many of the, 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 the wounds come up when we, when we complicate things. And maybe that's what this this writing
0: is really reminding us of to thank you. Right, so so here's a question, you know, it's uh, the first line here on this paragraph says, the more you talk and think, the more you go astray. Why is that? Or, or, or maybe another way to ask uh, this is, what is it telling us? Right, so the more you talk and think, the more you go astray. What is it telling us? Yeah?
7: What
1: I was thinking about, um, especially, being so close to the holidays where you see lots of family and you know there's chatter, it's a whole house of chatter. Um, and what I was thinking about was when, you know, how more how much more powerful it could be if there's some more silence or some more just interacting without so much language. Um, because what I hear when there's lots of groups of people together is a lot of what is talked about is complaints, <laughs> you know, or, or, you know, people get on that bandwagon of complaining or talking negatively about someone, and and that, you know, would be so much better if we just didn't have those conversations, um, so when I, you know, sometimes when around that, you know, you jump on too, and you're, you're like, oh, you know, this is not feel right. um, so that's what I was thinking about when there's more talk that, you know, you go astray, and how, you know, better it could be. You know, a lot of the interactions were just in silence or in you know being synchronized in your actions, um, and also talking about you know children's communication and um, you know improvement there of, of not you know um, discussing or, or talking about it rather than just you know doing. You know, kids get fidgety and, and things happen. You're, you know, rather than saying you can't have that toy, just you know take that toy away from them. Like without words. So I
0: think the more talk can be kind of just like I'm rambling now, better if it was more sad. <laughs> Right. So, so but this saying, right, the more you, you talk and speak, the more you go uh, talk and think, the more you go astray, is basically saying that we are already there, right? So one word, one thought takes us away, distracts us, from realizing that we are inherently perfect. That we are not in question. So the thought of I'm in question makes me in question. Because I'm moving towards that direction because I'm questioning my inherent perfection. Then, well, maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm not that. Everybody else is, I'm not, right? So, but, and this is how, this is where Zazen is, is so medicinal. Right? Because we turn inwardly and we sit with that which is. It's not in question. With that which is not in question, I should say. Right? That which is not in question is there. Whether the day is great or not so good. Whether what happens, whether we like what happens or we don't like what happens or we get what we want or we didn't get what we want. We sit, turn inwardly, there it is. All the time. So what Matthew was saying, I'm good, right? That's the goodness that's not in question. It's not good as opposed to bad. It's not good because I got what I needed or what I thought I needed or what I want. It's not good because 10 people said I'm a good person today or I'm a success or whatever. It has nothing to do with what's going on. And it allows us to deal with what's going on in a much more fluid way because we can become less attached. In other words, it works. <laughs> but, but we have to uh, be super diligent um, and care and uh, uh, nurture the practice. Rather than step in and out, in and out, that's not going to work, right? So we have to turn towards it. Speak, expound. So,
10: I think the, um,
0: the first line of this paragraph
10: you know, it was basically telling us to look, to pay attention, right? So, in a lot of the, the koans, there's, there's an introductory paragraph. Um, and nine times out of ten, it always ends with, look, or pay it attention, or something like that. And the reason why that's so important is because, um, you know, language itself is not a it's not a very specific tool. Because even if you just look in the dictionary, you look up a word in a dictionary, there's four or five definitions for that single word. Mm. And then just add nuance to that, just add context to it. You know, when we talk and talk and talk about things, the meaning that we're trying to get across just diminishes because there's more time to think about, well, what is he really saying? Or what does she really mean? And then we start to think and think and think. And then we're not really listening to the person anymore. We're thinking about how we understand what they're saying or how we're going to respond to what they're saying. So I think it's extremely important to to think of this this idea of, of looking directly because, as you were saying, if you look at what's happening, that's going to tell you how to respond you don't have to think about it right you know there was always that 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 idea of you know you you walk out into the street and the bus is coming what do you do well you get out of the way right you don't want to get hit it's it's very simple and life is as simple as that even the most complicated situations are as simple as that because if you just look at what's happening you'll know what to do you know you may make a mistake You know, you may not be as skillful as you want it to be, but you will know what to do. But if you think about what you should do, it almost becomes paralyzing to a certain extent. So that's what I think
0: the first lines mean. So, language, one of the problems with language is that we we eat. it represent, We say what we say, right? But you know, without often looking at why we say it or where does it come from or what am I vested in by saying this, right? So, and it can be a good way to, uh, to get in touch with what I am attached to and what I need to let go of. Rather than keep asserting it again and again and again, I need to turn it around and look at why am I saying this? What, what is it serving? Right, is it serving me or is it serving life? Is it serving, is, is it helping? Or is it just about you need to listen to me? Yeah. Right. right, how many times it's about that? Yeah. Right, so if we take, you know, count to 10, right? if you take you know, a few breaths to look at it, often I think we may end up saying nothing, or saying less, right? Right,
10: right. well who's taking that advice never send an email in anger? Right? <laughs> yeah. It's like there have been times where
0: I have actually written an email just to see what it would yeah. look like. <laughs> and then delete <laughs> yeah. it. Did you see that the, the, new, yeah. the, the new operating system in the Mac now gives you a few seconds to, if you send an email? Are
3: you
0: sure? At the bottom, <laughs> if you want to cancel it.
10: Yeah,
0: yeah. We actually, there's a delay there. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, you know, it's a, it's a Dalma teaching, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Think again. Do you really want to do that? Yeah. Emails, I, guess.
10: Received emails I think it's actually brilliant.
5: Yeah. I <laughs> I write them, I do what you do. I do you write them and
0: enjoy the it. <laughs> you can receive. Well, you can write and then look again and rewrite rewrite and then you may end up with you know from a, a whole page with one sentence.
10: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: That's all I really want to say. Everything else is just extra. Or the moment everything everything else know. is about me.
5: Yeah.
0: The one the one sentence this is about what's going on.
5: It's like straining pasta. <laughs> you know? Right? So what am I really in here?
0: But I, th- I think this is, you know, the, the important thing about this line is that we have to, it says what it says, but we have to see it in our own experiences, our own life. Right? When do I talk too much? What does it mean to talk too much? Right? When am I, you know, it's not, they're saying, you know, only, he's saying only when uh, all thoughts stop completely I'm not sure about that. I think was it the uh, Dalai Lama actually said that that's impossible. So, yeah. It's kind so of, don't take my word.
3: It's kind of like when we deal with memories or with um, you know like a big game of telephone where the more we talk, we're responding to what we started talking right. about rather than the thing in front of us. Or as we try to remember memories, we're remembering the memory. The re- we're remembering what we remember of the memory. Yes, and it's just like, it produces you know, more and more. Fidelity gets lost along the way. Of <laughs>
0: right, so a lot of... Uh, a
3: few memories together. Middlemen. <laughs> doesn't sound right for some reason. And you remember it one way, somebody else
0: yeah. remembers it totally different. <laughs> right, so, so, so the, the point is in all that is to examine on the go, right, and see, you know, what's going on here, Right. Where, where, where is there too much, right? So now in relation to thoughts, it's not too, ma- too many thoughts in my mind. It's I ta- the way I take them, I take them so seriously and that's where the problems are, right? I, you know, here's a thought and it must mean something. Why? Why do I think every thought that arises in the mind is more than just a fault, right? I mean, I'm serious. It's just that, right? Well, who, who gives it? Substantiation and meaning. Right? So then the following thought gives substantiation to the previous thought, and on and on and on and on. And that's what we need, that's the process we need to see, right? We need to examine, expose. And there was, well, you know, it's okay, let, let the mind run wild. Let it think, rather than try to stop it from thinking. T- to stop it is to, again, it's like to say, this is a problem for me, so you got to stop. Well, I'm attached to that. That's why I need you to stop. It's like I'm telling somebody, Walk or go away from here because your presence here is irritating me. Right? I mean, it's common, but <laughs> we don't say it, but we think it. We think it, right? But then, you know, and that, that thought is just fixed, right? But if we look at it, wait a minute, oh, you stay and I'm going to work on this one here. Stick around and thank you for sticking around because you give me an opportunity to work on something. Because if you go away, as I told you to do, then somebody else will show up and that person will be annoying, right? So as the saying goes, Zen would be easy if it wasn't for other people, (laughs) right? That's the problem, other people. Anyway, uh, we have a few more minutes, so we're not going to go into the next paragraph because there's a long commentary I want to bring up with that. So, any other comments? Rezan. Uh, yeah. <coughs> Here, give it
7: to Rezan. My sense of this conversation, I think, that, um, I think the focus is, the focus is, how we can be in this minute, in this moment, and all the things that take us out, like language, I think is most often about the past or the future. Mm-hmm. And certainly, with trying to raise a child, we spend a lot of time with our grandson lately. And so much of it is worrying you: know, if I'm going to do this now, what's that going to do to when he's 16? And, um, <laughs> yeah. That, um, children, I think, are almost too much in the moment, and what they're asking us for is to try to make sense of the moment um, you know making sense of why they're feeling this way or whatever is happening in their lives um, so I think our effort to get into the moment is some sort of balancing of karma and empire. The more we can understand all of the things that are entering into the moment from the past that create this moment the way it is and the more we understand all of the tools, language, uh, that we have, um, that we can deal with that um, is how we can experience the moment, how we can either be in the moment or not. Um, and. Um, That is so enormous. (laughs) It's it's such a nice small little thing. Um, And I guess the judgments, just like we're never going to get beyond language, we're never going to get beyond judging. And Ellen's father, Sanyoko's father, who said that every meal that he ate was the best meal of his life, um, I think it's one dimension of our judgments, that we're not going to stop making judgments. We're not going to stop. Uh, likes and dislikes, where we can kind of move that process into um, every day is a good day, um, every meal is a good day, every sit is a good sit, and although that might sound hokey or phony, there's an element, I think, after a while that um, begins to... um, cool off the demands that we make on different situations, like I demand that this meal has to taste a certain way, or I demand that this has to be a certain way, or all these demands that we make, um, I demand that um, when you talk to me in the morning it should be a certain way, Um, that it starts to cool off some of those demands, which I think is very helpful. Yeah, language just keeps coming. Um, Thank Thank you. you.
0: Can you bring it back so we can wrap it up? Thank you. So there's one uh, short paragraph I want to read from, uh, this is from Reb Anderson, uh, and uh, the book of Being Upright, those of you who study Jukai have gone through this book. And this is about the nine precept, not praising self and expense of others. And he says, in order to realize the full liberating import of this precept, we need to become aware of how our self serving impulses are laced into and insinuated into our speech. We must thoroughly examine how we use words. Words are discriminating consciousness. Words are also the way that discriminating consciousness enslaves itself. Observing how words enslave, Consciousness liberates discriminating consciousness. I think it's very fitting, right? Observing how we use language frees us from language, which means we can use it more skillfully. We could use it to do good rather than to hold on to uh, deep and grasping or, or further grasping. So
7: it frees us to use language? Yes. Not from language.
0: No, from attachment to language yeah. right it frees us from not from the from the need to use language that doesn't make sense right but it frees us from uh, uh, so language is the master and we are the servants often right we are serving thoughts we are serving concepts so looking at that examining that examine and this is where we have to examine what am I vested in why am I Sometimes, why am I not saying anything also, right? It's not just words, it's also silence. We can use silence in the same way that we use words, in the same harmful way we use words, right? So it's not just words, but it's our relationship with language, which, of course, I think includes, or should include, the, uh, the, the gaps between words, right, or, or, or avoiding using language. So freedom um, includes using words when words are necessary and using silence when silence is necessary. Then we're skillful. So, yeah, it's a, it's a, ta- it's a good task. So, anyway, thank you. It's been great and uh, to be continued. Yes. Bodhisattva Vows, page one.
10: for vows for all